Chapter Eleven of The Shadow of Victory. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Crystal Armida. The Shadow of Victory by Myrtle Reed. A June Day. On a warm morning in June, Beatrice took her despised sewing under an unwilling arm and went over to Mrs. Howard's. Mrs. Franklin was there also, and they all sat on the porch under the impression that it was cooler there than indoors. "'I wish you girls would show me how this goes,' pleaded Beatrice. She was making herself a gown of pink calico and encountering new difficulties at every turn. "'Where's your pattern?' asked Catherine. "'I haven't any map,' returned Beatrice. "'I lost it. I sawed this out by an old one.' "'It looks as if it had been sawed,' laughed Mrs. Franklin. "'Why didn't you ask Mrs. Mackenzie to help you cut it out?' "'Because I didn't want Aunt Eleanor to be ashamed of me.' "'She doesn't mind us,' put in Catherine. "'Stop teasing,' commanded Beatrice, "'and show me how to put this thing together. "'Which piece goes where?' "'Mrs. Franklin took the skirt, "'and Catherine went to work at the waist, "'pinning and basting firmly.' so that there could be no mistake in the result. Beatrice leaned lazily against the side of the house and watched them admiringly, praising their skill now and then in accents suspiciously soft. "'She's been taking lessons from George,' remarked Mrs. Franklin. "'That's the way he gets things done.' "'Speaking of angels,' said Catherine, "'Ronald crossed the parade ground and joined the group. "'What's that thing?' he asked, contemptuously indicating the pink calico." "'It's clothes,' replied Beatrice, with spirit. "'Don't you wish you were going to have new ones?' The ensign's answering laugh had a hollow sound to it, for the shabby clothing at Fort Dearborn was a sore spot with both officers and men, even though new and proper raiment was said to be on the way. "'You might make me some,' he suggested, "'and I'll promise to encourage you while you do it.' "'No, thank you,' she returned loftily. "'You'd be in the way.' "'I expect I'm in the way now,' he observed, making himself more comfortable against the pillar of the porch. "'When needles fly, women's tongues fly faster. When women sew, they rip their husband to pieces.' A faint flush came into Mrs. Franklin's face as she bent over her work. "'I'll wager now,' continued Ronald, "'that when you saw me coming, you had to change the subject. Mrs. Franklin was explaining the vagaries of the captain. Mrs. Howard was telling—' what she was obliged to put up with, and Miss Manning was talking about me. The implication sharpened the edge of the girl's tongue. You ought to be very glad you're not married, she said sweetly, and it goes without saying that you never will be. Nobody on earth would have you. Don't quarrel, children, put in Catherine hastily. Here comes Ralph. The lieutenant sat down opposite Ronald and wiped his forehead. Lord, he exclaimed, isn't it hot? Get a little closer to Miss Manning, advised the ensign. She's in an icy mood this morning. Beatrice and Howard smiled at each other understandingly. Be careful what you say, warned Mrs. Franklin. They've decided that they're cousins. Yes, replied the lieutenant. We've got it all settled. We're step-cousins-in-law, once removed. Want to go for a ride, Ronald? Forsyth and I are going a little way down the trail. Which trail? Fort Wayne, of course. Yes, I'll go, said the ensign, rising. It can't be any hotter on horseback than it is here. 
When the three men rode off, Beatrice pouted. Why didn't they ask me to go? I guess they're going swimming, returned Mrs. Franklin, for Mr. Forsyth had some towels. Here's your waist, said Catherine. Did you shrink the goods? Did I what? Shrink it, wash it, you know. Indeed, I didn't. Why should I wash it when it's new? Here's your skirt, said Mrs. Franklin. You'd better make a narrow hem and run a tuck or two above it so you can let it down. I'm going home now, because Wallace is all alone. Goodbye. Beatrice went to work gingerly, and Mrs. Howard watched her for a few moments, then took pity. I'll help you, she said. I have nothing else to do. The work progressed rapidly, and they went into the house frequently to fit the gown. I can wear it tonight, I believe, said the girl delightedly. I didn't know sewing was so easy. Don't be too hopeful. There's lots to do yet. Noon came on apace, and the heat increased. Shimmering waves hung over the parade ground and vibrated visibly. There was not a tree within the enclosure of the fort, and the flag hung limply from the staff, stirring only when the hot wind from the southwest swept over the sandy plains. Dr. Norton came out, looked around the deserted fort, and crossed to Lieutenant Howard's. "'Where are you going?' asked Beatrice, indicating an Indian basket he was carrying. I'm going to the woods, primarily to find a cool place, and secondarily to gather roots and simples. Some of my medicines have given out, and I'm going to make a new supply if I can find the proper plants. Catherine was sewing busily, and took no part in the conversation, but there was a scarlet signal on either cheek. If you get enough of anything, said Beatrice, the poor souls under your care can have some of it, can't they? Certainly. What do you expect to get around here? Oh, lots of things. Wild ginger, for instance. Would you like some of that? Don't care for it, she answered conclusively. Would you like a concoction of May apples? I believe I would. It sounds well. My dear girl, said Norton, seriously, the root of the mandrake is such a deadly poison that the Indians give it to their enemies. I must remember that, murmured the girl. I may need it for mine. The doctor laughed, then turned to Mrs. Howard. Are you well? he asked anxiously. Catherine's eyes met his. Yes, she answered, but her voice was scarcely audible. There was an uneasy moment for both of them, then he went away. Beatrice took up her sewing again and saw that Catherine's hands were trembling. He's an abrupt person, she said. Don't you think so? Yes, answered the other, in a low tone. He's lovable in a way, though. Don't you think so? I wonder why he has never married. Catherine started and her lips moved, but there was no sound. Beatrice looked into her face for an illuminating instant. Then she knew. Catherine, she cried in horror. Mrs. Howard dropped her work and fled into the house, trying to lock the door, but the girl was too quick for her. Catherine, dear, cried Beatrice with her arms around the trembling woman. Don't be afraid of me, you poor child. You don't know a friend when you see one? Friend, repeated Catherine in a rush of unwilling tears. I have none. Yes, you have, dear. Now listen to me. I'm your friend, and there's nothing in the world that could make me anything else. Tell me, and let me help you. The words brought back the memory of another day when the winter snows lay deep upon the ground, and a man's voice, dangerously tender, said the same thing. There's nothing wrong, B. Don't, uh, don't think that of me. I couldn't, dear. No one could. 
the curtains were drawn and the house was dark and comparatively cool within that soothing shadow Catherine gathered courage to face the girl and little by little hint at the tempest raging in her soul it was the old common story of a proud woman with a hungry heart denied love and sympathy where she had a right to expect it and tempted unwillingly but tempted none the less men are beasts exclaimed beatrice angrily don't say that b ralph has a great deal to bother him but i can't help wishing he were different if he were only as he used to be if i knew or even thought he loved me if he would try to understand me if he wouldn't always misjudge me but now you're brave enough to find it out and win kit i know you are i hope so but what hurts me the most is the fear that he that he knows that i that i care and pities me who ralph no the the i understand said beatrice quickly you mustn't let him know besides you don't really care women often mistake loneliness for something else don't you think so perhaps oh if he would only go away where i would never see him again if he only would some time in the long years things would come between ralph and me you'll have to wait kit life is made up of waiting for women and it's the hardest thing for us to do oh i know continued beatrice with a harsh laugh i fought something out myself once but i won it was hard but i did it and i'd do it again i wouldn't be coward enough to run away when things hurt you you don't have to let anybody know you can shut your lips tight and if you bite your tongue hard it keeps back the tears always pretend i'm a rock with the waves beating against me let it hurt inside if it wants to you don't have to let anybody else see the girl's fine courage insensibly strengthened the woman i'm so glad you know she sighed i'm glad too i'm going now kit and i wish you'd lie down a little don't forget i'm your friend and i'll always help you when i can and anyhow i'll always try it was characteristic of beatrice that she went home without any demonstrative farewell she had been gentle sympathetic and genuinely sorry for her cousin but there was an inner hardness somewhere which the other felt overwrought by emotion Catherine slept for hours and when she awoke a cool breeze had risen from the lake and was moving her white curtains to and fro dull sorrow was gnawing at her heart but the stab was gone she dressed and went out without any particular object in view the loneliness of the house depressed her and she felt that she must get away from it yet she did not wish to talk to anyone as she went toward the gate the captain's wife met her where are you going she asked to to the little lad faltered Catherine. oh said the other quickly turning away as if she had been hurt for a moment the childless woman envied the other her grave half a mile from the fort in a hollow near the river was a little mound marked only by a rude slab of limestone and the willow that grew above it at the sight of it her eyes filled oh baby she sobbed pressing her face against the cold turf above him i wish i was down there beside you as still and as dreamless as you you don't know what it means you never would have known oh i'd rather be a stone than a woman with a heart Catherine cried a man's voice beside her Catherine norton's arm lifted her from the grave and held her close dear heart he said is the world unkind she drew away from him 
but he still held her cold hands in his. My heart aches for you, Catherine. Can't you tell me? You never lost a child, she whispered, clutching at the straw. That is true, but I have lost far more. I— He stopped and bit his lips, upon the words that struggled for utterance. Come away, he said gently. He led her to the bank of the stream, where they sat down under a tree. She leaned against it, unconscious that he still held her hand. There was a long silence, in which she regained in some measure her self-control. "'I can't think what's wrong with me,' she sighed. "'I've cried more in the last six months than in all my life before. I'm not the crying kind.' "'Naturally, that is.' "'Don't think about that, for nature knows a great deal more than we do. Cry all you want to, and thank God you have no grief beyond the reach of tears.' "'Beyond tears?' "'Yes, there is another kind, which I am glad you do not know. "'It cuts and burns and stings till it is the very refinement of torture, "'and there is no veil of mist to blind the eyes.' "'She looked at him curiously. "'You—' "'Yes,' he answered, with his head bowed. "'That is the kind of grief I know best.' "'I'm sorry,' she said, stirred to pity. "'Why should you be sorry for me?' he asked, with a rare smile. There are countless joys in the world, but the griefs are few and old. The humblest of us can find new happiness, but there has been no increase of sorrow since the world was first made. There is a fixed and unvariable quantity of it, and we take turns bearing it, that's all. Nothing comes to any of us that someone before us has not met like a soldier, bravely and well. You are strong, but I have no strength. There are different kinds of strength, Catherine and of these the one most to be prized is what we call endurance for lack of a better word one can always bear a little more for we live only one day at a time and tomorrow may bring us new gifts of which we do not dream lengthening shadows lay on the river and the sun hung low in the west but they talked on she forgot everything but the peace of the moment which came to her sore heart like a benediction without knowing it she was very near to happiness then the doctor's voice was soothing, as if he were talking to a child, and she did not dream that he was fighting the exquisite danger of her nearness, with all the power at his command. At last she leaned forward with her eyes shining, and put her hand on his. "'Thank you,' she said, softly, for helping me. The man's blood leaped in his veins, and he sprang to his feet. He walked back and forth on the bank of the river, for some time before he dared trust himself to speak. "'Your happiness is very near to me,' he said, trying hard to keep his voice even. "'You must always remember that, and for me it is enough to be near you, even if—' She outstretched her hands, and he lifted her to her feet. "'I must go,' she said. "'Yes, you must go and go alone. I will stay here until you have had time to get back.' The deference to circumstances jarred upon her, and she did not answer. Her hat was lying by the child's grave, and as he picked it up for her, she said, Why, there are violets all around. I never saw those before. Didn't you? he asked diffidently. I thought you came often. No, she said in a low voice. Not very often. Who put them there? He lowered his eyes at her question, and then she understood. Did you plant flowers on my baby's grave? she cried. There was a tense moment before he dared to look at her. Yes, he answered slowly, because they were standing face to face with the little grave between them, and the woman's heart quivered with a strange and terrible joy. 
There was no need of words, for all at once she knew why. During the four years of her marriage, he had followed her from one post to another. She saw a new meaning in his sympathy when the little lad died and her husband blamed her so bitterly. Moreover, she knew that her battle was with herself, not him, for the unyielding edge of honor lay between them, and even if she would, he would not let her cross. For his part, he too was uplifted, because without words she understood, and answered with love in her eyes, undisguised and unashamed. Her heart leaped toward him, but he stood with his hands clenched so tightly that the nails cut deep into the flesh. Neither had heard nor seen, but she felt an alien presence and turned. Not six feet away from them stood Lieutenant Howard. With his face ashen gray, he had an armful of flowers, purple flags and yellow lilies, from the marsh and clover from the fields. When he knew that she saw him, he came to the grave, stooped, and put the flowers upon it. The doctor stepped back, but Howard took no note of him, whatever. "'It is a strange place for a tryst,' he said, with forced calmness. "'Catherine, will you come home?' They went all the way to the fort without speaking, and when they reached their own house, he stood aside for her to enter, then followed her in and locked the door. Trembling with weakness, he sat down and drew her toward him. "'Catherine, have you anything to say to me?' Strangely enough, she was not afraid, and the terrible joy was still surging in her heart. "'Only this, Ralph, that you have wronged me and misjudged me, but you know this, that I never told you a lie in my life. As long as I bear your name, I will bear it rightly. While I call myself your wife, you may know that I am faithful to you and to myself.' That is all I have to say, but for your sake and my own, and for the little lad's sake, be just a little kind to me. Her voice broke at the last words, but he rushed past her and went out. From the window of her room, she saw him pacing back and forth on the plains beyond the fort, fighting his battle with himself. She knew she had heard him past all healing and pitied him subconsciously. The dominant knowledge warred with her instincts. When he came in to supper, his face was still pale, but his voice was even and controlled. He ate but little, and they talked commonplaces until afterward. Catherine, he said, I remove the embargo. You may have him or any of your other friends at the house as often as you please. I will not force my wife to make clandestine appointments outside. He laughed harshly and went out, but though she waited for him till long past midnight, he did not return. For her there was no rest. Pity, shame, fear, pride, and ecstasy struggled for mastery in her soul. The sound of moving waters murmured through the night, with insistent repetition as the waves came to the shore. In the dark hours before the dawn she saw a man, indistinctly, walking on the prairie with his hands clasped behind him and his head bowed. At first she thought it was Ralph, but straining her eyes through the darkness, she saw that it was the other, and her heart beat hard with pain. Dear God, she murmured brokenly, Oh, give him peace and help me to be true. End of chapter 11. Recording by Crystal Armida, Texas.